first couple of verses in Luke tells us about the ascension of Jesus. And they read, When Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So these are three short verses, just at the end of Luke's Gospel. And they come after the events of Easter, exactly 40 days after the events of Easter. And perhaps they're verses that we don't actually take into account very often. We kind of gloss over it. We think we know the ending. Jesus has now died for us on the cross He rose again. He's been seen by the disciples. And sometimes we might think, well, that's fine, that's it. But this is actually really important as well. Because Jesus had been appearing and disappearing to his disciples over the last 40 days. And we've thought about some of these appearances. How he appeared to Mary outside the tomb. He appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appeared in the upper room and appeared again when Thomas was with them. He appeared to Peter and to other disciples after they had possibly given up and gone back to their fishing. And last week, we remembered the conversation that the risen Jesus had with Peter, where he forgave him, and he restored them again. So by now, the disciples had probably got a bit used to Jesus kind of popping in and popping out again, unexpected, not knowing when or where they would see him. And we're going to read the account from Acts slightly later, and we're going to have a wee bit closer look at that one. But here, Luke just ends his gospel with the account of the ascension of Jesus. And then he starts his book of Acts with the ascension of Jesus. So I reckon that means Luke thought this was pretty important. Finishes one book and starts another book with the same account. So what I want you just to try and do for a moment is imagine yourself as one of those disciples. You've been with Jesus for three years. You've listened to all he has taught. You've seen all the healings and all the miracles that he has. And you've been with him in the run up to Easter. You've cried as they crucified him. You've fled because you weren't too sure what was happening and you were afraid. And then came Easter Sunday and you rejoiced because he had risen again and you've seen him several times since then. So you maybe think, well, you know, what else can he do? He died, he rose again. Nothing will surprise us. And yet Jesus here still manages to surprise them. He gathered them together in Bethany He raised his hands to bless them. And then they saw him ascending up to heaven. I imagine they were pretty surprised then as well. And I'm sure we would have been too. But then they took that surprise and they did what Jesus had told them to do. Jesus asked them to return and stay in the city until they received the power from the Holy Spirit. So they returned to Jerusalem, not sad this time because Jesus had gone, 
but rejoicing because of the wondrous way they had seen him ascend. And there they stayed in the temple, praising God for who he is and what he has done. So Luke's gospel ends as it began in the temple at Jerusalem. At the heart of the gospel in Luke is the heart is the vision of the Christian life, the worship of the living God, which was now revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus is our living hope. He has broken our chains and he has set us free. And now he reigns at the right hand of God our Father. Praise be to him. Hallelujah. There is nothing greater. Acts 1, 1 to 11. Jesus taken up into heaven. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this he said, After he had said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Have you ever been on a car journey with young children? And you get asked the question, are we nearly there yet? You've only got to the end of your street. Um, are we nearly there yet? You might get this question asked again and again and again. Are we nearly there yet? No matter what you say to them, how well you explain to them exactly how long the journey is going to last, what towns you might have to go through first, are we nearly there yet? It can be asked out of boredom. Are we nearly there yet? Or it could be asked out of anticipation and excitement. Are we nearly there yet? Are we, are we, are we nearly there yet? And I wonder how well you answer that question. Perhaps the first few times you're patient. You answer nicely. You tell them how long it's going to take. But I expect as the journey, journey goes on, and you're asked this for the umpteenth time, your patience begins to wear just a little bit thin. You're getting fed up. And perhaps you don't answer the question quite as nicely as you did the first time it was asked. So I wonder if Jesus ever began to feel like that when the disciples kept on asking similar sorts of questions, when they still don't fully understand what is happening. 
And the passage that we read from Acts this morning, the disciples still haven't quite grasped what's really happening. Despite all that's happened, all they've heard, all the teaching, all the intense teaching over the previous 40 days, they're still asking the wrong question. They want to know, is now the time, Jesus? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is it now? Are we ready? Are we going? But Jesus is, of course, very patient with them. And we'll look at his answer in a minute. So as we said before, Acts continues from Luke's gospel. And we know this because the first few words say, in my former book. So we know this is going to be a sequel to what went before. This is the next book in the series. And like all good sequels, or season twos when it's been a long gap between season one, Luke gives a brief summary of what's happened so far. In his gospel, Luke tells us of the great things that God did in the person of Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, he goes on to tell us about the ongoing activity of God through the help of the Holy Spirit. And the passage today is a transition from one to the other. Luke starts by telling us that the resurrected Jesus has appeared to his disciples many times over the last 40 days. And during that time, there was really two major topics of conversation, the kingdom of God and the spirit of God. The first one about the kingdom of God, which is quite important when we get to that question. And throughout Jesus' life, the kingdom and God, kingdom of God was a really important part of his teaching. At the very start of Jesus' ministry, he said, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Many of the parables were about the kingdom of God. In the parable of the mustard seed, it says, The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. When planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all plants. And one time Jesus took a child and stood him in front of the disciples and the crowd and said, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And Jesus also said, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now this is really only a tiny selection of the verses where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. You could perhaps check the rest out yourself. But the kingdom of God has been an integral part of the teaching of Jesus all throughout his life, and then especially in these last 40 days. You would have thought that by now the disciples just might have caught it on, but their question shows they're still not quite there yet. For they ask him, Lord, are you at this time, at this time, going to restore the kingdom of Israel? But like the child asking, are we nearly there yet? The disciples are asking Jesus, so is it now? After all we've been through, is it now you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? 
And I suspect Jesus maybe just shook his head a little bit again and had a bit moment of dismay. For the disciples were still hoping for and looking for an earthly kingdom. They were looking for a political and a territorial kingdom, a national kingdom of Israel. And they were really hopeful that finally, now was going to be the time. Maybe that was the only way that they could make sense of everything that had happened. Maybe they were still got that realization or that hope that this, all their hopes would now be realized. But no, that wasn't what was happening here. Jesus was not starting an earthly kingdom, a political kingdom, a kingdom that was free from the occupation by Rome. His kingdom is different. His kingdom is about lives being transformed from the inside, not by our outside circumstances. It's all about God ruling in our hearts and our lives and our lives being committed to him. Jesus doesn't give them the answer they were looking for. And he tells them that God's plan works in a different way, in a different time. And that no one, not even Jesus, knows the day and the hour of his return when that kingdom is fully realized. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, About the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. So no one knows, not even Jesus, when that end will come. And he goes on to tell them, though, that although they don't know when these things will happen, they don't know when the sun will come again. They do know and they are told that they are going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, which will enable them to be witnesses to Jesus. Next week, when we celebrate Pentecost, we'll hear more about that power of the Holy Spirit. But here, Jesus promises. It's like, no, not yet. Kingdom of Israel's not happening yet. But I do promise you that the Spirit will be coming and they will give you power. Power to do what? What was this power going to enable them to do? Well, Jesus has told them that they are to be witnesses to him. Witnesses of all the things that they have seen and heard about his life, his death, his resurrection, about what the kingdom of God means and how that can transform people's lives. So this power of the Holy Spirit will come to them as a gift from God and they are to stay in Jerusalem for another 10 days until it happens. So they're going to be witnesses. So where have they to be witnesses? Might be They might be thinking, well, that's okay. I could go home to Jerusalem. I could tell my mum and dad. I could tell my, my rest of my family. I could maybe even tell the neighbours or the people down the street. But that's not all they're called to do. They are to be witnesses in Jerusalem first, which was their local area, their family and their friends. And then Judea spreads out a wee bit further. And then to Samaria, these people that they didn't really like very much. And then to the ends of the earth. 
That is the journey that these disciples were going to be given power to do. To be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And you know, we should be thankful that they did and that the others that followed them did. Because if they hadn't, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't have heard of Jesus if those first disciples had said, nah, you're okay, let's just go back home. And you know, that promise and that commission wasn't just for those first disciples. It is still given to us today. We are still commissioned to go out to tell others of Jesus. Mission is still the journey that we should be on, both as individuals and as a church, a church locally and a church nationally. We are still empowered by the Holy Spirit to do these things. The disciples were asked to step out of their comfort zone and go. And you know, we are still asked today to step out of our comfort zone and go and tell others. Leslie Newbiggin said in one of his books, The church is the pilgrim people of God. It is on the move, hastening to the ends of the earth to beseech all people to be reconciled to God and hastening to the end of time to meet its Lord who will gather all into one. So the disciples were taught by Jesus, commissioned by Jesus to be witnesses and promised the power of the Holy Spirit to help them in that work. So Jesus has now completely fulfilled all his tasks here on earth and he now ascends back to be permanently with God. And the verse says, a cloud hid him from sight. Now a cloud is often used in the Bible as a sign of God's presence. If you remember back when the children of Israel were wandering through the desert, the pillar of cloud and fire appeared to guide them. Now this time Jesus doesn't just disappear. They actually saw him. So they know that this was permanent. They don't need to wonder, will he pop back tomorrow? He ascended right in front of them. What a marvellous and glorious sight that must have been to see Jesus in power ascending to heaven. He had to go back to heaven to enable the Holy Spirit to come, which had been promised in John. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and is still empowering us all today. Jesus went to take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. And as we heard, he is still interceding for us. In Romans we read, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What a wonderful, glorious and marvellous thought that is. The Christ who lived here on earth, who knows what it is to be tired, who knows what it is to be hungry, to be tempted, 
He knows what it is to be human, but he never sinned. And he is now sitting at the right hand of God and interceding on our behalf. And the story doesn't quite end there yet. There's a promise at the end of the passage. Luke mentions two men dressed in white, two angels who speak to the disciples and promise them that Jesus will return one day. The very same Jesus they have just seen ascend on a cloud to heaven will one day come back again. So we don't know when, but we can be assured that one day Jesus will return. So we're living in that time between the first coming and the second coming. The now, but not quite yet, of the kingdom of God. Same place that the disciples were living in after Pentecost had given them the power of the Holy Spirit. We're still living in this in-between time. So what are we to do in this in-between time? I think there are two responses. Worship. What else can you do when you see the glory of God? And we often read in the Acts about the first Christians devoting themselves to worship and prayer. So I think it's the only response we can give to the ascended Lord who sits on the throne. And prayer is very much part of that worship. For Jesus is now there, right beside God, interceding on our behalf, listening to our prayers, helping us to live each day. And the second response, we've already mentioned that, go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So we are to show others and to tell them that they can come and know the risen and ascended Lord for themselves. And that is our commission until Jesus returns. St. Teresa of Avila summed it up in these words. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ is to look out on a curting world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless now. Amen. We're going to listen to some music and I want you to reflect on your response, your personal response to the ascension of Jesus. And maybe that's not something you've often thought about before. But have you given to Jesus all of yourself, all of your life? Are you responding with worship, with prayer? And what about that commission? Are you ready to go? What is your response today to the risen, ascended Lord?